The Parent-Teacher Conference Podcast is sponsored by FanSchool. Parents, are you finding it difficult to see your child's work since it's all digital? Teachers, are your digital assignments getting lost in the black hole of a digital folder? Can I suggest a solution? FanSchool. FanSchool is a safe and social learning network where students own and share their learning. Think of FanSchool as a digital bulletin board for your students' work. Take a look. Go to fan.school today. That is fan.school. And imagine what your classroom space will look like on FanSchool. Welcome to your parent-teacher conference, where a 24-7 parent and full-time teacher discusses issues and concerns from both points of view in an attempt to bridge the gap for the sake of kids. So relax, grab a coffee or other comfort drink, and let's talk about it. Hello and welcome to your parent-teacher conference. This is Coach Cullen, your host, and I'm going to do things a bit differently. I've had several requests to talk about my views on things like CRT and anti-racism, and what I'm going to do instead is talk about a term that many of my generation have embraced when it comes down to racial relations, and that's being colorblind. But for some, that term has fallen out of favor. For others, people may refer to it as hurtful towards them, especially if they're a person of color. And still there are a few that will say if you use that term or espouse that view, it just is proof of your racism. Now, I don't agree with that. And I will share why I believe that my multiracial family doesn't work unless we're colorblind. But as I was creating this episode, it went for about an hour. So I reached out to some of my loyal listeners who have contacted me in the past, and I asked them, should I release it all as one episode or split it into two? And the response was two episodes, because I try to keep things between 20 and 30 minutes long. One listener said, I can listen to you for an hour, but you've never tried two episodes on the same topic. So why don't you give it a try? So I'm going to give it a try. So the first episode, we'll be looking at where did things change? Where did the term colorblind go from a positive to a negative? So I hope you enjoyed the first episode of two on my colorblind family. Many Americans hold on to the idea still that our goal is to be a colorblind society. But over the past probably decade, it has been criticized it has even been denounced as racist to use the term. So in today's episode, we are going to look at why there has been such a change. You know, for people in my generation, maybe younger than me, that's what we were told to strive for. But yet today, 
it is seen like a bad word. I'll discuss where that came from a little bit. I'll also tell you why that I will share with people that I am the colorblind father of a colorful family. And I'll share that some people kind of are taken aback by that and will attempt to correct me and say I should really be seeing things their way, that we should not be striving for a colorblind society, that there is some negativity to that. I will also share that some people have privately come to me and said they support me, but or they themselves have been attacked for saying that they too are colorblind and they have just kind of silenced on that situation. And as you know, on the parent-teacher conference, I'm trying to bridge the gap between parents and teachers. Being both a parent and a teacher, I'm trying to look at things from both points of view. And I'm sure there are many parents and teachers that have decided to do away with the term, do away with the concept of colorblindness because they believe it will help race relations. And I think that is the goal for the people who use the term colorblindness. I think that's my goal as well. I, I have two biracial daughters. I want them to live in an America where they do not need to fear people making decisions based on the color of their skin. But I'm not naive either to think that people won't. Maybe people make decisions about me based on the color of my skin. Maybe listening to me, or even when I say that I choose to teach my daughters to be colorblind, people are drawing opinions about me based on the color of my skin. I think when people say they're colorblind, it's from a desire not to act out of a bias. But I don't think people who say that are naive enough to believe that people won't. And in saying it, I'm not saying that people of different skin tones than me aren't beautiful or I'm trying to deny them their culture, or trying to sweep under the rug issues of past injustices when it comes to race. I think all of that's just a straw man, looking to silence people rather than persuade them. I don't believe in silencing dialogue. For example, a woman named Robin D'Angelo wrote a book, bestseller, called White Fragility. In it, she writes this about the topic of being colorblind. She was at a workshop with a co-presenter who is an African-American man. And one of the participants says, I don't see race. I don't see you as black. And the response by the co-trainer with her said, then how will you see racism? He then explained to her that he was black. He was confident that she could see this and that his race meant that he had a very different experience in life than she did. If she was ever going to understand or challenge racism, she would need to acknowledge this difference. Pretending that she did not notice that he was black was not helpful to him in any way, as it denied his reality. Indeed, it refused his reality and kept hers insular and unchallenged. Obviously, Dr. D'Angelo will not appreciate this podcast if she gets to hear it. And if she did hear it, she would just say, my response shows my white fragility. But to her point, that then denies my experiences and my reality. And I gotta be honest, what she thinks about me has nothing to do with my experience and my reality. Only if I allow it. Do you know Dr. D'Angelo doesn't debate anybody on her topics? Do you wanna know why? Because she realizes that the true fragility will be a reduction in the amount of money she makes on her appearances and her book sales. And to the example she provides in her book from that workshop, her co-presenter probably would have been better off asking the participant what they meant 
by I don't see race, I don't see you as black. First, the co-presenter assumed the worst in what the participant said. And the response, all it did was shut down discussion in a I'm right, you're wrong type of way and didn't allow any discovery of points of agreement. And secondly, the participant's words only affect the co-presenter's reality as much as the co-presenter allows it to affect his reality. When we're listening to somebody, we really need to stop focusing on how does that make me feel and return to what do you mean by that? Listen carefully and ask questions. That is what opening dialogue is. And I believe that would be ultimately more persuasive. I think most Americans want a fair society for Americans of all colors. The disagreement is how do we get there? And the only way we're going to get there is if we're open to honest dialogue. But if you go to the extreme of calling somebody a racist because they dare use the terminology colorblind or that concept, you haven't persuaded anybody. All you've done is silenced them out of fear to say anything. And although you may have thought you've helped your cause, you've heard it. Now remember, a lot of this is coming from my perspective. As I said earlier, I'm the father of biracial children. I'm white. My wife is white. So we look at this issue not through the greater societal lens, but through the narrow lens of our family. How does saying we're colorblind or treating each other colorblind affect our family? How would denying that affect our family? How would others calling us racist for saying we're colorblind affect our family? As a dad, I'm just trying to protect the love and respect that we all have for each other. Now, at the end of this, you can do whatever you want with the information. Maybe it persuades you and you think there's some good points in there. For others, you may still think I'm wrong. And that's okay. I believe that most people who will be listening to this, who will still disagree with me at the end, are doing it with the best of intentions. I don't believe that most people who disagree with me on this are going to walk away thinking the worst of me. I mean, hopefully for those people, the best I can hope for is, hey, coach, I still disagree with you, but after explaining yourself and even how schools approach this topic with your daughters, I understand your concern and why you hold the perspective that you hold. Now that was a long introduction to this episode, but I thought it was necessary. If you like what you hear and you think others would benefit from taking a listen, tell a friend, retweet it, share it out on Facebook. Let's expand the community and really start a dialogue. Instead of talking past each other, or we wait for a gotcha moment where we take a sound bite that seems innocuous, and we blow it up because we assume the worst in the person who said it. If we do that, then the people on the extremes win. And we can't assume that someone who thinks differently than us is on the extreme. I think that viewpoint is promoted on social media. I was just talking about this with a friend of mine, how too often 
A person says something politically, be it from the right or left, and we assume that they're either MAGA or progressive. The sad thing is that most of us are in the middle, and we can accept people of differing political opinions, especially people we know, because we know them to be good people. We just have a difference of opinion. That is why it's so important, instead of going out and labeling people, we get to know people. We start to dialogue. So let's dialogue. First, let's talk about the opening song. If you never heard that song before, and you might not have, it was by the Christian artist Michael W. Smith. I believe it was written in the early 90s. It's called Colorblind. The song was most likely written about the Rodney King incident. It's probably the first time that I remember that a bystander's video went viral. And this is before the smartphone and the internet. A guy with a camcorder got this video out and it was brought into our living rooms on every news network. Here's what happened. A black man named Rodney King in Los Angeles was pulled over, and on the video, we saw, I believe, four white officers hitting him to the ground with batons. For many, this was proof of police brutality in Los Angeles, especially against African Americans, and it was brought right into our living rooms across the nation. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole trial, but the officers were found not guilty of using excessive force. What happened next was L.A. began to burn. Black L.A. citizens began to riot because they believed it was just another example of injustice to the black community. Perhaps the big story out of the riots, other than the destruction of property, was what happened to a white truck driver named Reginald Denny. A news helicopter was filming an intersection where Mr. Denny's truck was stopped. He was pulled out of the truck by rioters, beat up, kicked, and even had a concrete block thrown at him. And in his song, Colorblind, Michael W. Smith says this, which I believe really looks at both the situation with Mr. King and Mr. Denny. Somebody's just assuming he's up to nothing good because he's not like the others. There goes the neighborhood. What kind of world are we living in when we judge a man by the tone of his skin? It's crazy because he has a heart like you have a heart and why can't we be colorblind? You know we should be living together and we'd find a reason in rhyme I know we would, because we could see better if we could be colorblind. And I believe Smith is just reflecting what many of us who were born in the 60s, the 70s, and 80s were being told in our classroom. We're being told to listen to the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. when he said this, I have a dream that my four children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. For many of us, that was the concept of being colorblind. So where does this shift occur? Where it becomes inappropriate to say that you're colorblind, or even, for some, labeling you a racist for even using the term. Well, I'm going to turn to the boogeyman. CRT, Critical Race Theory. Now, I know people are going to say, oh, that's not taught in schools. That's, that's, that's a legal term. You're right. It is. It is. Let me 
give you a basic definition of critical race theory in case you don't know, because even people who are against it often do not explain it right either. So here it is. Critical race theory says that racism is baked into the laws, the legal system, the government, how we function in the United States. And it's taught as a way of looking at the law by some law professors in the United States. But as a lot of theories that start out in the highest levels of academia, such as law schools, people take those theories and begin to run with it and see other ways that it can be pervasive in other areas of society. Where Americans outside the halls of academia or undergrads first started experiencing this trickle-down of critical race theory is really in the books of Robin DiAngelo, like White Fragility, as well as the popular New York Times bestseller by Ibram X. Kendi, How to Be an Anti-Racist. So let me share some thoughts by the author, Mr. Kendi, on the topic of colorblindness. Quote, the common idea of claiming colorblindness is akin to the notion of being not racist. As with the not racist, the colorblind individual, by ostensibly failing to see race, fails to see racism and falls into racist passivity. The language of colorblindness, like the language of not racist, is a mask to hide racism. Now, one thing you need to remember, that is written in the introduction of his book, where he is going to propose a new solution that he believes is better for the country. So, of course, he's going to attack that has been entrenched in American society since the Civil Rights Movement. This idea that we should be striving for in all things, treating people as if color was not a factor. Kendi's saying that's not enough. And later within that paragraph even implies that only white supremacists would hold to the term colorblind. Now, some of you may be thinking, how dare I, a white man, speak out against the views of a black man who I would agree has likely suffered more racism in this country than I ever will. And again, I go back to my family. I do it for the sake of my family. I don't want my daughters judged by anyone, be it white, black, or whatever color you want in between. They should never be judged or assumptions made about them based on the color of their skin. I mean, I refer to them as adopted to put things in context for my listeners. And I do the same by sharing with you the information that they're biracial. So you can understand where I'm coming from. But I know that people who know me, who are listening to this podcast, if, you've, if you ever have the chance to meet one of them, who truly know me and see me around my daughters and my wife, that I never introduce my daughters as my adopted daughters. I never say, these are my biracial daughters. I never explain why my daughters have totally different skin color than my wife and I. They don't look anything like us, which is probably to their benefit, I would 
hate to have one of them crying one night saying, why did I have to have your ears or your nose? So never have to worry about that. But my point is, they're my daughters. Just like my friends with their biological kids have daughters and sons. And I don't want you to know them based on the color of their skin. Like Martin Luther King Jr. said, I want you to know them by the content of their character. I want you to know them as individual people. External factors like their skin color is very minor to who they are. Let me share with you the problem that can occur when we elevate external factors over actual students' needs in education. Recently, I was listening to the Board of Education in a town where I live. And what they did, or what the superintendent was responding to, was a parent complaint that the school district removed the general level, which was the lowest level of regular education English at the high school, and made all those students go to college prep English. Now, one of the reasons the superintendent said that this move was made was when they were looking at scores and they were looking at the racial makeup of students who were in the general ed, they saw a lot of minority students. Some of them were recommended for general ed, even though they had the same scores on tests that some white students had who were placed in college prep. And to get a clear understanding of the district that we're in, the minorities we're tending to talk about here are not black, but Hispanic. Many of whom are probably first generation Americans if they did not come to this country with their parents as young children. So were teachers in their recommendations being racist against Hispanics? Maybe, and if they are, they should be dealt with, that's wrong. If testing is the sole criteria for determining entrance into the, that college prep level class, then yeah, no race, no ethnicity should be determining a determining factor in where this child is placed. Of course, the one thing that wasn't shared was, were there other factors that were part of the placement, such as completion of assignments, grades in the classroom, etc. And that's important to know because you would assume that a college prep course is going to be taught at a different speed and a different level than a general level course. But at the same time, like I said, I fully agree that it's racism if the determination was truly because of color of the skin, ethnicity, etc. We should go after the teachers who are doing that. But let's talk about the kids who really do need that general level course. Why did you get rid of it? Why not move the kids who had the scores that the other kids in college level had into college level and leave the kids who didn't have those scores who maybe will profit and need the extra support? maybe slower pace, different selections of readings that the general level provided. But here's the thing, where's the equity? You know, that's a big word right now in education, equity. Not giving kids what is fair, but giving them what they need. So how is elevating any kid, 
than denying them the support and resources they need equitable. That's not even a racial issue. Yeah, the stats, when you show your stats, you can say, look at the numbers of kids we moved out of general language arts into college prep language arts. Aren't we doing well? Well, are you? You can now say that 100% of your minorities are now in college prep level language arts. What about those kids who are now struggling at the college prep course because they needed the support of the general ed course? It didn't improve anything for the actual child. I mean, if you did and they all can work at college prep, congratulations, it should be applauded. That's awesome. But eliminating the course to drive up those numbers isn't equity. It's just a farce to the Board of Education, to the newspapers, to presentations that you give at educational conferences. Those numbers will look really good. But the more important question is this. Did you do good by those kids? And that's what I mean. Students are more than skin color. They're more than stats on a page. They're human beings. Some of them need to be challenged more, and some of them need to be helped. And those decisions need to be colorblind. It's not the color of a child's skin is not making them unable to read at grade level. Stop being concerned about what others think about what your statistics look like and just provide the services to help that kid read. Thank you for joining me on the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this podcast with friends. They can be teachers, they can be parents, they can be someone who's just interested in education and parenting. If you have a comment, a question, or an idea for a future topic, please feel free to reach out to me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. Remember, a good teacher cares deeply for their students, but good parents love those students, their children, deeply.